in their next paycheck, in their next relationship, in their personal physical enhancement. I think of that a lot with New Year's. You know, a lot of New Year's resolutions are around um, improving their their maybe physical physical look or whatever to the world or, you know, losing weight or something of that sort. Um, Number four, or number five, in their next escape, and that could be a vacation, it could be a mental escape using drugs or something like that, right? And that's what they're looking forward to, and that's where they they go to seek happiness. And so this morning, we're going to focus on these verses, uh, verses 8 through 12, and see kind of uh, what the Lord is going to share us about happiness and also uh, just just living the good life. And ultimately, you know, you might look at some of these and be like, well, I don't know if that really fits my need, but it's God created us, right? And so he tells us these things for a reason. And so I would think it would behoove us to at least try what God told us how to, how to live our lives, right? And so let's go through and we'll start back at verse 8. And he's all over it. All right, verse eight. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender hearted, and be courteous. And so we see this idea, and you, you guys know this. Uh, we, we studied through um, several books in the Bible as a church together that unity is often spoken throughout the text of the scriptures, right? It's constantly spoken. And we have to ask ourselves, why is that, you know? Um, And I think two reasons. One, it's super, super important. And two, it's hard at times, right? It's difficult at times. And so the Lord needs to remind us that we need to return to this idea of unity. Now, one thing to keep in mind, we can clearly see from scripture being like-minded or being in unity does not mean we, have, we don't have differences, right? Um, I'm going to read this. Uh, I'll put the scripture up on the screen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So we can clearly see from Scripture that we are not supposed to be exactly the same. I've heard it said that if two people agree on everything, one of them isn't thinking, right? And so this is, this is true in the church, that we are supposed to be, um, in a way, rubbing against each other. Um, there, there should be some friction, right? It, it's good for us. Uh, to have that friction with each other. Um, you know, the, the Bible says iron sharpens iron, right? This isn't, this isn't a thing without friction. Uh, so friction is not necessarily bad, and that's our differences um, humbling us in a lot of ways, right? Because a lot of us have pride. I'll speak for myself. Um, I have pride that I need to keep in check, right? I need to pray and make sure that there's not pride in my heart when I make decisions or when I'm confronting somebody or talking to somebody, and so um, this, this rubbing can reveal those things, those areas in our lives that we need to refine, right? And the Lord will use those differences um, to continue to grow us closer to him. However, we do have some things in common and being like-minded. One of the things we do as a church when um, you want to serve in ministry here, we 
have you fill out a ministry application. And on that ministry application, it asks you to basically sign that you agree to the statement of faith of the church, right? And the reason for this is because there are many churches that have different statement of faiths. Um, One of the key ones that we may differ from a lot of churches, and I'll read it to you. Uh, In our statement of faith, which you can find online, it says, uh, concerning the Bible, we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God, fully inspired, without error in their original manuscript, and are the infallible rule of faith and practice. The Bible is the foundation upon which the church operates and is the basis for which the church is governed. We believe that the Bible supersedes any earthly law that is contrary to the Holy Scriptures. And so this, to me, seems uh, common sense, but to other people, this is not, right? I was uh, talking to a brother um, in the church on Thursday night, and uh, he, he goes to college, uh, one of Josiah's friends, in, in a nearby uh, school, a Christian school. And uh, he said all of his teachers are pretty good. They're pretty solid believers, uh, except his Bible teacher. He says his Bible teacher doesn't believe in uh, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I thought, wow, that's, I mean, that's a tough one. If you can't get, get past that one, it's, how do you teach the rest of the Bible? And, um, and then he also doesn't believe in the virgin birth. He said, oh, that's not possible. And it's like, wow, you know. And so you go, he goes to a Christian college and he said all of his teachers are relatively, you know, for the subjects are pretty good, but the Bible teachers are way out there. And I said, wow, that's, that's awful. And that just goes to show you that we have to be careful, right? People coming into the church, they profess to be Christians, but if they want to serve here and teach others and minister to others, we need to make sure that we're like-minded, right? And this is, to me, this is what the scripture is talking about, is that on the core issues of our faith, we better be in lockstep. We better be like-minded. And we could even say narrow-minded, right? I know that's kind of like a bad thing. People think uh, we should be open-minded, right, in the world. But in this sense, we should be very narrow-minded. Um, but and, and take confidence in the scriptures. I, I love... Um, you know, a lot of people call the, the Lord's, they say the Lord's prayer um, is um, what basically the, the disciples were asking Jesus how to pray and he gave them an example and they call that the Lord's prayer. But really the Lord's prayer is when Jesus was praying for his disciples, right, in John. And so I, I want to read a section to, of that to you and listen to what um, John 17 verses 20 through 21. Listen to what the Lord, he's, he's praying for us here. So listen to what he says. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And that's us, right? That they all may be one as you, Father, as, sorry, that they all may be one as you, Father are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so you see right off the bat that Jesus is praying for us. And the big thing he's praying for is unity, right? Unity amongst each other, unity with God. And so we, we do need to, as a church body, strive for unity 
Um, one of my favorite stories on this, where there could have been contention, right? Where there could have been division within the church when there really was no need, is uh, this story of Aquila and Priscilla in Acts. And I'm actually going to have you guys turn there. So Acts chapter, keep your finger in uh, 1 Peter, we'll be back. Acts chapter 18, verses uh, 24 through 28. And I pause. For a while, just I, I like uh, hearing pages turn, and so then I, I just wait till they stop turning. So I figure you guys are there. Okay, Acts chapter uh, 18, verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And so we have this interesting account here where Apollos, and so you guys know, there's many theologians that believe Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews, right? We also know from church history that he was even if he didn't write the book of Hebrews, he was, uh, a, had a large impact on the early church. He was a great teacher. Um, the, the reason why people think he wrote the book of Hebrews is because it's slightly different Greek um, text that was used, right? You know, some people think Paul wrote it. Uh, but we have a lot of samples of Paul's letters, and it is a slightly different style of Paul's. And so they think maybe Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, But either way, he had a big impact on the early church. And we see here uh, from this account that he taught accurately. But then we see later that there was something more accurately, right? So it's like, what what are we talking about here? And it, it explains that he was teaching the baptism of John. Okay, and so the baptism of John is a baptism unto repentance. He was calling people unto a repentance and to the Messiah, right? Um, so John, um, he had what we'd say is maybe is an incomplete, uh, picture, right? And Aquila and Priscilla noticed this and they addressed it with him. And what did he miss? And just so you guys know, um, you know, the, the way I see it, and of course I'm kind of looking at the text in a whole at the end of the section, it says that he, he preached Jesus is the Christ. But at the beginning, he was saying he teach the baptism of John. So in my mind, what he was teaching was the repentance and the need for a Messiah, but not the grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He missed that second part, right? 
And so there's a couple of ways this brother and sister could have handled it. They could have just said, well, this guy's not teaching the whole truth. So they could have just ignored him and walked away, right? And said, I'm not going to go back to that synagogue. Uh, they could have publicly uh, shamed him, right? <laughs> said, well, hey, what are you doing? You're missing the, the big picture here. Um, but instead, they pulled him aside. And now we see this account where the church really grew through this event. Not only that, but I think, how do we even know about this event? Um, I don't think that, you know, that necessarily this is something that Aquila and Priscilla were boasting about after the fact. Like, hey, we set him straight. You know, he's a great teacher and we set him straight, you know. Um, I really think it was part of Apollos' testimony that he shared with the church that, you know, I only had a partial picture until I was brought into correction. And so you could see these uh, brothers and sisters kind of bumping heads on issues, but ultimately it worked out for the better. And the most important thing is they did it with love and grace, right? They addressed it in private and with love and grace, which is just a really great picture. Um, So there we get a great picture. Now, I wanted to share this other verse with you because the scriptures also say in 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And then we would have to ask ourselves, what is foolish and ignorant disputes, right? And I think the verse itself gives, gives us a hint. Um, it, it gets down to the heart, right? Because um, it, we can look at the scriptures and see a lot of the foolish disputes they were having. They were having disputes about genealogies. Um, they would go through that. Do you remember when we were talking Romans about eating meat or vegetarians or meat, and they would have disputes about dietary restrictions. They'd have disputes about which days to worship. We still have that today. I know there's some churches that worship on Saturday, some that worship on a Sunday, and, and we can argue with those people and have those disputes. And um, Paul says that be convinced in your own um, in your own mind, right? And worship the Lord. Don't leave your brother alone that wants to worship on a Saturday or a Sunday, right? They have churches for that and they can go there and worship the Lord. And so these, the Bible clearly says, are foolish and ignorant disputes. But what about other things, right? What about other things we face? Well, the core issues, and that's why we put them on the website in our statement of faith, those are worthy of disputing about, right? To make sure we're like, like-minded. What about other things? Well, I think the end of the verse tells us knowing that they generate strife, and this is a hard issue. So if there are other things that aren't core to our belief, but we, have, we want to win an argument, that's where our pride comes in, right? If our goal is to win an argument and to generate strife, then we need to be careful. I need to be careful. You need to be careful to make sure that we're not entering into what 2 Timothy says here, what Paul says here is that we're not entering into uh, ignorant and foolish disputes, right? And so um, I'll let you think about that. I was thinking about, I, I think anything I think about is, is, could get me in trouble, but um, I was thinking about like holiday traditions, you know, like uh, we, I was talking with the sister, I won't say exactly what, but we were talking about, you know, Christmas traditions and stuff like that. And uh, these typically aren't things we should be disputing about. You know what I mean? And so I shared with her what we do, and then she shared, well, okay, cool. You know, I mean, 
In my mind, it shouldn't be things we were disputing about, you know, breaking fellowship over uh, traditions that aren't established in the Bible. These are just traditions their family does, right? And so um, that's my mind. But I know any area could, could be uh, contention over. So, um, but, but I think ultimately, just like the rest of the scripture, we have to check our heart, right? And I think that's why it says it on the end of the verse where it says, knowing that they generate strife. Right, because that gets to the heart of the issue. What's your motivation in this? Um, okay. Verse nine. So back to second, uh, second, or sorry, first Peter chapter three. Verse nine, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Now, in the scripture, you guys know that the, uh, the Old Testament gives us this guidance like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? And, um, and, and in some way, you would say, well, Jesus' teaching about turning the cheek is a, kind of contrary to that, right? I mean, why... Why would we say an eye for an eye? And then here we say, do not return evil for evil. Well, shouldn't I, you know, if someone pokes my eye out, shouldn't I poke their eye out? You know, that's what the scripture says. Um, I think two things on that. One is that I believe we're given that through the Mosaic law so that we don't, don't act on our impulses, which our fleshly impulses are usually to exceed the persecution that somebody gives to you. Uh, meaning if someone takes your eye out, you're going you're gonna to take both their eyes out, right? Or if someone slaps you, you're going to punch them. So that's typically a fleshly reaction. And so there's restrictions on those, right? It's like, okay, yes, justice, there is a thing called justice, but if, we, if somebody steals something, we're not going to give them capital punishment for it, right? So it's a, uh, there's justice and it should be served. And the second thing is this was guidance for the, for the judges, right? For those who are ruling over others, right? Those who are making judgments on legal cases as we would see them. And so they were given this as guidance. But as far as individual relationships, we get our guidance from Jesus, right? As far as we're dealing with others. And when somebody does something against you, we should be seeking to, to um, live like Jesus lived, right? Like he gave us in the, in the Beatitudes, right? And how, how to... Um, approach our relationships with other people. And so, um, so you know, one of the things um, that I love is, and you can kind of see this in, you know, verse nine, is how he says, return, and on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And this is what Jesus tells us is that, um, that you uh, that those who are persecuted for him will receive a blessing, right? That that you should rejoice in it. That you should rejoice in your persecution. And um, this this may seem like a hard thing to do. Um, you know, when you're persecuted, that's not usually the first thing that comes to mind. But I think I can pull everybody in this room that walks with the Lord is that when you are persecuted, you draw closer to the Lord, right? I mean, is that, is that a fair statement? Who do, you, who do you turn to first when you're persecuted? And hopefully it's to God, right? And drawing closer to God. 
And ultimately, what that's doing in you, right? What that's doing is he's building that relationship with the Lord, and that's where he wants you, right? If life was always good and great, uh, would we be turning to the Lord and crying out to the Lord consistently, right? And so we should count it as a blessing uh, that we are, when we are persecuted, that we should count that as a blessing. Um, one of the things I love is when Sunday mornings here at CR, when I can usually, one of my ministries here is just to kind of make things, sure things are in order before service. So I'm usually up and down this hall quite a few times. So if you see me running up and down this hall, that's what I'm doing. Uh, but I, I love hearing the conversations amongst the saints, right? The edifying the body. And this is what we should be doing is, is coming together um, uh, seeing how each other are doing. I see brothers and sisters praying for each other. Sometimes I stop and see how you guys are doing. Sometimes I'm just running off to do what I need to do. Um, but it's amazing coming to Calvary Store and just seeing the fellowship amongst the brethren, especially before and after service, and how we're building each other up and edifying each other. Um, okay, so let's go to uh, verse 10. Now, Peter is going to, some of your Bibles, I'm assuming the text here is indented, and he's quoting from Psalms 34, so a Psalm of David. And so verse 10, it says, for he who would love life and see good days, let him reframe his tongue from evil. Um, So the first thing we see is to reframe his tongue from evil, and this is speaking of um, Spreading gossip, right? So being a gossiper. Um, I, now, personally, I don't have an issue with keeping a secret. It's the, it's the people I tell it to that really struggle to keep a secret. Uh, but <laughs> I'm just joking. But anyways, I, I'll be honest with you guys. Gossip is it's, it's tough because you hear something and the first thing you want to do is share it with somebody else, right? Or you see something, you want to share it with somebody else. And this is a fleshly desire. It, um, it, it's very clear in scripture, this is not edifying to the body. Very clear. And if you've ever been on the end of the gossip where you're the one being gossiped about and you just kind of hear it from the outside, you know what that feels like, Right? Um, and so this is not edifying to the body. And as Christians, we should not be uh, partaking in gossip. And I know it's a, it can be a struggle, right? I, I, I would have people raise their hands here, but that you probably wouldn't want to do that. Um, but let's be honest. I mean, all of us have probably participated in gossip, either on the receiving end or on the giving end, in some way, shape, or form throughout our Christian walk, right, as believers. And um, we, we have to guard ourselves against that, right? And we have to lovingly, if we're on the receiving end, we have to lovingly um, tell the person gossiping to, you know, back it down, right? If they're gossiping about some, somebody, they need to go address it with that person. Um, and that's part of the, the loving part, right, is, is do it gently, be, be loving towards each other, but we need to do a, a, jo- a good job of kind of pushing that down or not gossiping about other people. Um, one of the things I struggle with is jesting with people, jesting or like joking around. 
my brother Sean here, but he knows I love him, but we jest a lot. Um, but I do have to be careful about that too, because sometimes I think, oh, I, I don't know how they took it, right? Do they think I'm serious about that? You know, so I have to be careful about that thing. But, um, but gossip too, we all need to be careful with gossip, right? So the, the end of uh, verse 10, it says, and his lips that were speaking deceit. And this is, um, I like the uh, King James word for this. Sorry, I got out of order here. Okay, maybe Jordan, you can help me. Do you have um, the King James Version of this verse? Verse 10? Awesome. On the spot. And you can see at the end here, we see that they speak no guile, right? And so this word guile, this is an interesting word because we see this in the world a lot. It's It's not necessarily that they're lying, and it's not necessarily that we're lying to each other, but that we are formulating our words in such a way to make the other person, maybe they think we're saying something else, but we're not really sure. You're saying it deceitfully. You're trying to formulate your words to deceive somebody, right? And um, a good example of this, you guys can turn with me, is Genesis chapter 3. And we see Satan do this when he's talking with Eve. Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to start right at the beginning. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Satan really uses guile here. And the reason why I say that is because, uh, well, let me ask you this question. When, when, Eve, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, did they die in that day? And I see some going yes, and some, I see yeses, and I see noes, and I'm like, what are we talking about? Um, physically, they did not die. Spiritually, they did die, Right? And so Satan's using guile here. He's not really lying because I I was speaking of their flesh. Their flesh did not die. Physically, they did not die that day, right? Spiritually, they did, however. Now, Adam and Eve, this is interesting. We were talking about this Christmas morning. They were, um, they were, they had glorified bodies. I mean, that's the way I see it. They had glorified bodies. They were fully, they were flesh. They had souls. They had consciousness just like we do but they were also spiritually alive when they were created, right? They didn't need to be born again when they were created because they already had spiritual life. I think Pastor Victor says it, that they were clothed in light, you know, um, which could be the case because we see right after the fall, the first thing they noticed was that they were naked, right? That they weren't clothed. And, but, but when they were created, they were fully alive, 
And I think that's amazing to think about. And when Jesus is talking to uh, Nicodemus, you remember how Nicodemus, he was the teacher of Israel. Jesus called him the teacher of Israel. And he couldn't understand the concept of being born again, of spiritual life. And he's like, well, you're the, you're the teacher of Israel. Why don't you understand these things, right? It's right here in Genesis. They died. When they, when they sinned against God, they died. They spiritually died, right? And they needed to be born again. Everybody that's going to enter into the kingdom of God needs to be born again. They need that spiritual life. Um, and so we see Satan, he uses guile to convince Eve. And he's also telling her, um, don't you want to be more godly? I mean, that's tricky, right? <laughs> that's, that's like, yeah, yeah, I would like to be more godly, you know? And you could see Eve, and the Bible says that Eve was deceived, right? Satan will, or I'm sorry, Adam willingly uh, sinned, but Eve was deceived by this. And so Satan used guile. And this is not uncommon in our world today. I think last night we were kind of joking uh, about this newscast. I, you guys probably remember back in um, last summer when we had all the riots in the cities and one of the newscasters with the city burning behind him says that it's mostly peaceful out here, right? And you can say, well, he's lying. Well, not really, because 90% of the city was probably peaceful. It just happened to be that 10% of it was burning, right? So you could say that he wasn't lying necessarily. He was just speaking with guile, right? And this is the nature of man, right? It's that we would do this. And the, the reason why we do this is to get what we want. It's for selfish desires. That's ultimately it, right? We're trying to convince someone of our point of view. Uh, you know, maybe you're selling a car on... Um, marketplace, and you know the transmission's bad, but the engine runs good, and then someone says, how's the car run? You go, well, engine runs great, right? And you just leave out that part about the transmission. Well, you're not lying, but you're speaking with guile, right? You're intentionally deceiving somebody to get what you want. And so we shouldn't do this in the church. We shouldn't manipulate our words knowing that we're trying to convince somebody or deceive somebody to our side of uh, an issue or to get something in return. And we do have to be careful with this. Um, the, the other uh, account I had in, um, is of Nathaniel, if you remember. Nathaniel was caught. Thanks, Jordan. Um, Nathaniel was called by the Lord, and it says, that Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. And it's with an exclamation point. And so some of you think, well, guile is like this new thing. You know, people are trying to deceive each other and twist words and all this. I don't think so. I think this is just how man is, right? And this was the, apparently a surprise to Jesus to have an Israelite with no guile. You know, this is an, a really unusual person. Um, and so we do have to be careful of this to not fall into this trap of how we deal with the world and how we deal with each other in the church, because ultimately it affects our credibility, right? Who we are um, as we share the love of Jesus. If we are filled with guile, it's people aren't going to believe us and we're not going to have credibility. All right, back to first Peter.
verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And um, this, this is kind of an interesting thing nowadays because some people will say, well, what is evil, right? I was thinking of uh, Pilate when I was kind of putting this together. Pilate said to Jesus, um, well, Jesus, Jesus responded to him and said, those who are of the truth will hear me, right? Will follow me. And, and Pilate says kind of a similar thing. He says, well, what is truth, right? Is the real profound, you know, truth to you is different than truth to me. So your truth doesn't really matter to me, right? And this is the same concept we have today where people will say, well, what is, what is evil really, right? And, and shouldn't evil be defined by the society and what, uh, you know, maybe a democratic process, um, on what is evil or what is not evil. And obviously, um, we know this, that this, this is not a, um, a good way to represent evil because then it would, it would shift over time, right? And so we need to stick with the foundation of God's word and let him decide what is evil and what is not evil. Um, go back to Genesis uh, chapter 4. And Cain had this problem. Cain and Abel. He had a similar problem to this. And this is a problem we have a lot in our world today is what is, what is truth? What is, uh, what is evil? Well, or God to you is this, but God to me is that, right? And we have this uh, contemplation of terms. And what I know is that this is true right? This is what I know is true. Um, everything else, as far as what I get from the outside world, I'm a little skeptical of, but <laughs> this I know is true. Um, and Cain had this issue as well. So in Genesis chapter four, you remember Cain and Abel, they both brought a offering to the Lord. Abel brought an acceptable offering, right? He brought a blood sacrifice, uh, Cain, it said he was a worker of the field, and he brought a grain offering to the Lord. And this wasn't accepted by the Lord. And being believers, we can see this looking back, why the Lord wanted a specific type of sacrifice, because it's through the blood of the lamb that we're going to be saved, right? And a lot of things in the Old Testament are pictures of what's to come. And only through blood will our sins be covered. And so this grain offering to the Lord wasn't acceptable to the Lord because he was setting out a different God, a different plan, a different picture. He had his own way of doing things. And so we see in verse six, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will it not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you but you should rule over it. And I don't think Cain is much different than anybody else where in the flesh, we want to do things our own way, right? And we think God should accept us however we want to come to him, right? And that's what Cain was doing. He was saying that God should accept me. I'm, I'm different than Abel. I'm a worker of the field and you should accept me the way I am and the way I want to come to you. But God has pre-established a way of how to, how to um, go before him, and Cain wasn't following that. And so 
when we address these questions like what is truth, like Pilate said, or what is evil, um, the important thing is we don't fall into the, the way of Cain, which is however I define it or what I think is right. That's not important, right? We go to the scriptures and we let God uh, make those decisions and let God teach us through our words and conform us into his image. Now, what I love about this verse in Genesis is that Cain had the opportunity to restore that relationship with God. He, I mean, it's almost God was calling him saying that if you do right, it'll go well with you, right? You don't need to be driven away, right? And yet his desire to be ultimately his own God drove him away from the Lord, right? That he really wasn't willing to submit to God. All right, so we'll go back to 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Um, I have uh, this verse. I want... Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The the best way I could say this, I mean, the scripture says it right here, is that sin has a pleasure for a season, right? And everybody knows that. But anybody knows somebody that's steeped into sin for a long time will tell you that they wish they had never gone down that path. You know, um, I don't know how many um, men, young and old, that I've talked to that are steeped into pornography, right? That wish they had never seen that, but yet it's consuming to them now. Um, so we, or call it something else, drugs, right? They are drugs or they're addicted to alcohol um, or they have a temper that they can't control. I mean, there's many, many things we could talk about, right? Um, but sin, and the, the scripture says it here, is, is pleasurable for a short amount of time, but ultimately, like what would happen with Cain, its desire was to devour him, right? And that devour his soul and pull him away from God. And so we really need to guard ourselves. And what I, what I tell people that are in these positions is that um, there, there's no time better than now when you're asking for help, when you're asking for prayer to, to turn to the Lord because your heart is still soft to that. You know what I mean? I mean, in, in five years from now, if you just give into it, you never know if your heart's going to be soft to that anymore. Um, and so... You know, I'm going to kind of mention it here this morning. If, if your sin is consuming your life, if you're practicing sin, have a soft heart towards the Lord, right? Ask for prayer. Um, don't look at what, look how God approached Cain. He said, you know, he, he was trying to get him back into fellowship, right? And if, if you, if, you have a conviction in your heart this morning, then that's the Lord drawing you back into fellowship, right? He's, he wants to bring you back, but 
Don't make the decision of Cain and say, oh, maybe some other day, maybe in five years from now. Um, to do that this morning, right? When we come up in prayer afterwards, come up and ask for a prayer for release from that bondage. Um, we shouldn't be practicing evil as a church, um, as a church body. It's, it's an hindrance definitely to yourself and as a church as a whole um, to, to advance the kingdom of God. And so if you go back to First Peter, we see, but let him seek peace and pursue it. And this should be the goal of our walk, right, is to have peace with one another, to have peace within the body as a fellowship, but also to, in reaching out to the world um, to draw them in. I was thinking of, you know, Jesus' prayer uh, for his disciples. And the, the key point at the end is that, that, they, that people would be attracted to that, that oneness, that unity, that peace among the fellowship and that the outside world would see that and be attracted to it. Uh, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Um, the worship team can come on up. I'm about finished. We don't, we don't want the, um, the face of the Lord to be against us, right? I, you know, that's how it kind of finishes off here is the, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so we don't want the face of the Lord to be against us. I want to uh, kind of finish on Hebrews uh, 10.24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Um, just in, in closing, you guys, you know, what I would, you know, for 2022, I'm excited. I mean, the Lord is going to do amazing things this year. I know 2021 was was awesome. I mean, as just as a church, we did a, an amazing BBS. We had a, a concert. We, we did amazing things. And I'm excited about this year. But what's important is as a fellowship, we draw together. We um, love one another. We, we walk with the Lord. We walk with each other in this life. We pick each other up. We edify each other. Um, when, when we're tempted to gossip about some, somebody, let's, let's instead uh, build up a brother, right? Let's build up each other in the, in the faith and walk with each other. Um, Let's be more like Christ this year, right? That's the goal. Let's be more like Christ in 2022. I'm going to hand it over to the team. Let me close in prayer, and I'll hand it over to you guys. Heavenly Father, Lord, I've just been pondering these, the, the, these words in your, in your word here um, this week as I prepared this message, Lord. And I know a lot of it, a lot of times I teach, I know the teachings for me that... Uh, you have me teach on things that you're working through in my life. And um, I pray that it's, it's, it's uh, also affects those here and that those that are watching online that, uh, that this year we wouldn't uh, be about our goals, Lord, but, but ultimately we'd be focused on your vision and your kingdom, that we would um, just give our lives like a living sacrifice, Lord, that we would be open to be transformed, to be closer to you, to walk more like you walk. You know, we look at 
look at your life and your example. And I know I have a, a still a long ways to go, and but I, I pray that I'm, I'm more like you in 2022 than I was last year, Lord. Lord, I pray you be with this church, that you continue to bless this church, that you continue to uh, just be with those. Uh, I'm just reminded of those who are uh, at home sick. I know we've heard from quite a few people in the fellowship that aren't feeling well and, and they stayed home today. And so I, I pray that, pray over them that you would uh, just heal them up, mend them up quickly, Lord. Pray over those that are traveling for, for the holidays that you would bring them home safely. We just love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Why don't we all stand? Worthy of every song.